Please join me in prayer. Come Holy Spirit. No matter where we are on our journey right now, whether our hearts are soft to the reality of you in our lives, continue to warm them. If we're kind of medium firmness, that you would uh, remanufacture them. And Lord, if they're hard, soften them with the warmth of your grace this morning because of the ministry of your word in our lives. Once and for all, we beg you, Lord, to do that among us today. And that you would think our thoughts, that I would speak your words, that you would bend our wills to yours, and you would take each and every one of our hearts and set them on fire with love for you and for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. It became a joke of my brother and sister growing up in the Washington, D.C. area. Every time they would roll out of the driveway, as my dad was taking them to a Washington Senators game, they would look out the back and just laugh at me. Because I would stand there weeping because my dad wouldn't take me until I was seven years old. None of the dads in our neighborhood did that. You just didn't take kids anywhere because, you know, you just didn't back in the 60s. You didn't take the kids to restaurants. You didn't take kids to public places because they were kids, you know, and that's what my dad would tell me. When you're seven, you can go to a game. And so they would roll away and they would laugh at me and wave and I would be crying and my mom would say, oh, for crying out loud, come back in the house. Until one day, my dad came home from work and in the middle of the week, he said, hey, Gene, how about me and you go to a ball game tomorrow? Just me and you. And I'm like, yes, finally, this is my time. And so I didn't waste it. I busted the piggy bank, and I bought my own Washington Senator's helmet, and I bought my own Washington Senator's pennant, and Dad bought for me all the peanuts, all the Cracker Jack, all the coke, my heart desire, and it was 100 degrees. We sat in the shade that day, but as every single batter came up to bat, I was into every pitch. I had a scorecard, I had a pencil, I had my pennant, I had my coke, I had my Cracker Jack, I had my peanuts, and I yelled for three hours. <laughs> the people scattered out of the shade into the sun to get away. In the 100 degree heat. It was glorious. And as, as we got there and we arrived, and, and it's like everybody, the very first time you see the stadium grass, it's the greenest grass you've ever seen. Adam and Eve didn't have greener grass than this. And we walk, got there early, and, and we got down there to watch batting practice, and my hero, I got to see my hero take batting practice. The ginormous, six foot six, the Ohio State University graduate, Frank Howard. Some of you might remember him, most of you don't. But he was just a massive, gentle giant who could just smash the baseball. He was great, and I loved him, and I cheered for him. And I, I, I can't even remember whether we won or lost. It didn't matter. I was there and got to experience it. And my dad told me years later, he said, Gene, as fun as it was, us teasing you as we went away every, every time when you were a little kid, 
as fun as it was to go to the ballpark with you, the famous memory of mine as your dad that day was just watching your face. The sheer expression of joy. The, the wide-eyed excitement as the, he said, I remember when the announcer, you know, people started to scatter when the announcer announced, ladies and gentlemen, your Washington Senators. I'm just like, yeah! <laughs> and people, well, what's wrong with this kid? <laughs> I wonder, the apostles, as they saw Jesus ascend, we know they had wide-eyed excitement and sheer joy. They've been with Jesus for 40 days. He said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then he ascended. The cloud came down. And he disappeared. And he is king. And we spent the last 10 days reminding ourselves, he is king, he is Lord, it's his coronation, we are his subjects. It's not our opinion, it's his, and we will follow him and be his witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and this marriage at the end of the earth. But how? And those disciples stood up there, wide-eyed, yay! And the angel said, uh, guys, why are you standing here look, gazing up at the sky? This Jesus will return again. Now go. <laughs> and so for 10 days, they've been waiting. And it says in verse 10 of Acts 15 of Acts chapter 1, there's about 120 followers at this juncture. Okay, It's not a small number here at this time. And so I encourage you to open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at John 14 at the end of the, it's in the back of your bulletin, but we're going to look at Acts 2 for a bit. Because what we're going to see for the, the disciples, the true disciples of Jesus, are given some priorities in this text that are valuable for us 2017 followers of Jesus as we embark on our mission. And, it, and Pentecost reminds us that we're not orphans, but has poured out his spirit upon us and has given us one another, the church, to help us in this journey of life. And what we see in this is because these disciples during these 10 days were willing to admit they're empty. I mean, can you imagine? Go, you will be my disciples in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Right. They're empty. They know they can't do it in their own strength because they have Jesus' words of John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches of a man or man in him, and I and he and me, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. They have that ringing in their heads. What do they have to do? Wait on the Lord, be filled with the Spirit, and to proclaim. That's our priorities. Wait on the Lord. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and proclaim. Let's look at these. Beginning of verse 1 of chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Well, what is that place? Scholars debate what that one place was. Some say it's the upper room. Well, from what it appears in archaeological digs, the upper room wasn't that big. and I'm not convinced it could fit 120 people. It seems more likely that the one place was the temple. Every day they went to the temple for the ministry of the word to pray and to wait because they knew he was going to give them the Holy Spirit. 
They, were, they knew it was going to happen. They trusted that it was going to happen. And so they've been waiting for 10 days for this. And he says in, in chapter 1, verse 49, But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And they waited. What does waiting mean? To be together, to pray together, to have the word minister to one another, and to wait on the Lord. And that's what they did. And that's a struggle for us, isn't it? Because Americans, we're doing people. We always want to be doing something. And every now and then, don't you hear someone say, don't just stand there, do something. <laughs> See, the scripture tells us, as his followers, don't just do something, stand there. Spend time. Because God is saying to us, live into that love relationship with the Lord. Live into knowing the Lord, following him in the simple things of life, adjusting your life to his will, not ours. Letting him love us and reveal himself to us as we go about our daily lives. And a time will come and will be called for doing, but we can't do before we be. We're the disciples of the living God. And so to wait is to develop our relationship with the living Lord. By prayer, that's the first priority. Being people of prayer, ministry of the word, and personal Bible reading, to attending to it on the Lord's day, letting the Lord speak to us through it. And yes, serving as God gives us opportunity. It reminds me of the great Anglican minister of the 20th century, David Watson, David was called, uh, coming out of seminary, to St. Cuthbert's Church in York. It had 12 people in a church that would seat 300-ish people. The bishop said, oh, David, just go. We're going to close it down. Um, but just go there, get your feet wet, and, and learn to be a vicar, and then we'll move you on to greener pastures and we'll just close it down. But you need to go somewhere, so you might as well go to St. Cuthbert's. It's beyond hope. Well, David Watson, as is new from the scriptures, that there's no place beyond hope. And so he gets there and he finds it's a very busy little church of 12 people. They were doing all kinds of church bazaars, <laughs> potlucks, all kinds of things together. Very, very busy. And he said, from henceforth, everything we're doing is canceled. And the only thing we're going to focus on is waiting on the Lord in prayer in the ministry of the word. Six people left. Because he went after their sacred cows. Because, you know, you have to have a potluck, right? You have to have a bazaar. You have to do whatever church people tell you to. And he said, no, we're going to do what the Bible tells us to. And I know for our ministry, we're going to first wait on the Lord to let him direct our paths. We're going to wait by prayer, number one, and Bible study. And, and letting the word tend to our souls each and every Sunday. They did that. A year later, church isn't 12. It grew from 12 to 24 to 50 to 100 to 200. To 400, 
to 800 people. They outgrew, they outgrew the space. They couldn't hold all these people. And the bishop said, oh, what a wonderful work David Watson has done. And he said, oh, no. What a wonderful thing the Holy Spirit has done among his people. So they merged St. Cuthbert's with St. Michael's Church a half mile away, where to this day, St. Michael's La Belfry in York, England, is a vibrant. Go on their website. I encourage you. Go on their website. Amazing place to this day. Vibrant. Great ministries within York. Why? They waited by prayer and attending the word. A little more on that later. Next, these disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 2 of chapter 2, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Jesus earlier had said, receive the Holy Spirit and breathed on them on Easter Sunday. Remember that? It's something we receive. It's a gift. And really, it's something, as we discover later on in Acts, as we hear Peter speak, it's something that happens to every single person who receives Christ as Savior and Lord. If you turn to verse 36, where Peter says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Then what happens? They said, What should we do? And Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit comes upon everyone who receives him as Savior and Lord. And as I say at every Pentecost, it's not a matter of whether you have the Holy Spirit. It's a matter of whether the Holy Spirit has all of you. It's a matter of whether God has all of you. So what does the Holy Spirit do? We, well, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. The Holy Spirit guides us. He equips us to do the task that he's calling us to do. For Peter, and there's 120 all the Jewish race was gathered back for Pentecost. So what was most needed at that time? Right at that moment. To speak their language. So all of a sudden, they began to speak languages that they never took a course from. Imagine speaking fluent French and you never took a course. That's exactly what went on. Um, the, the, the gifts that God gives us are for the need at the present time. He also gives us the desire to obey the Lord. He gives us, prompts us, and he enables us to pray. He gives us understanding of God's word. So when you receive the Holy Spirit and are filled with all of God and the Holy Spirit, those things are happening in our lives. How do you know you have it? Bishop Rao would say, number one, the marks of a true Christian, a person who's truly filled with all the Holy Spirit, is that you're at peace with God, number one. That you know you're assured of your salvation and that you're not trying to earn it. You're not trying to do anything. You recognize in what's been done for you in Jesus Christ. And the second mark of a true follower of Christ is that they are distressed by the sin that's in them 
and the sin that's in the world. 2 Peter 2.7 describes it that way, that true followers are distressed. They're, they're bothered by it. They know they can only control themselves, but they want to go forth and be a blessing. How about you? Are you at peace with the Lord this morning? Have you rested in this wonderful work that God has done for you in Jesus Christ? He loves you that much. And two, are you distressed? Are you at war with the sin? Oh, I did it again, Lord. That's good. Because if you're distressed by it, you're at peace with God. <laughs> because it's a constant battle, friends. We battle with this because we're, we're, we're living the already and the not yet, right? You know, we live in the, in the sense that I'm not what I want to be, but I'm not who I was, thank God. Well, that shows you're a true follower. If that doesn't describe you, I would encourage you, turn it over. Turn it to the Lord. Follow Him with us. And people who do that, you know, reach out. People who do that are distressed by the things that are going around them in the world. One such group like that was the Clapham group in the early 1800s in London. They were distressed by the problems that they saw by these little children being shuffled off into industry. By women having to work 18-hour shifts in these mills that were going on in the early industrial age. And the Clapham sect, as they eventually were called derogatorily, but this is the Clapham group, a bunch of Anglican Christians gathered together simply, simply to pray and ask the Lord to use them. And they came to the decision that God has called them to the reform of manners and the abolition of the slave trade. Led by William Wilberforce, the great political force. But most of the people were just common folk. They attended to word in prayer, and they got involved because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They asked the Holy Spirit to move through them, and he did. And 50 years later, 50 years later, the slave trade was abolished in England. My friends, receive the Holy Spirit, and he'll empower your life to do that which he's called you to do. Not like Peter, not like me, like you. Because we're all part of the body of Christ to be used in the way that he so has chosen to use us. And we're all important. Last but not least, we know because we're called to this ministry to go forth and be witnesses, we proclaim. Okay? What does Peter do? He opens his mouth and he says, verse 36, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And they respond, what do I do? Repent and be baptized. You see, friends, we're called to open our mouths. And so for the next six months, we're in this season of Pentecost. As a congregation, we are looking for opportunities to be a blessing to our neighbors, absolutely. And to proclaim the good news of Jesus as he gives us opportunity. Where we live, where we work, and we play. Oh, we do good deeds. We must. We must. But we also follow it with the words of the good news of Jesus. little tip. 
what I've discovered is very helpful as of late. Just gossiping the gospel. Chatting up the gospel in my normal everyday conversation with my unbelieving friends. So many people in our area identify themselves from their background by their denomination. Oh, I'm Methodist. Oh, I'm Congregational. Oh, I'm Presbyterian. Oh, I'm Catholic. This has been helpful. I said, oh, wonderful. Tell me about that. Uh, right? Well, you know, Methodists, we used to all be together because we're Anglicans. And John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, was an Anglican. Isn't that wonderful? We're together. I'm congregational. You know, Jonathan Edwards was congregational. The greatest American preacher ever. Have you ever read Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God? Everybody has. He had a lot more sermons than that, trust me. Brilliant theologian. I'm Presbyterian. That's a denomination stemming from the Reformation. We're a Reformation church. Isn't it wonderful to be saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone? I'm Catholic. Well, half of, half of Cleveland is Roman Catholic, and many of them believe, friends. Don't, don't be harsh on them. Many of them believe. Some don't. And they're caught in the to do rather than what's been done. The whole point is just to tell me about that. These things further the conversation. When somebody complains, oh, I can't stand this boss of mine. How about saying something like, you know, I have found in, in my line of work that um, when I have problems with my authority, I just take it to the Lord and I can, that, that authority's been placed there. And I can do my job with excellence and it just gets, it feels so much better. See what happens with that. Maybe all you're doing is putting a stone in their shoe a spiritual stone, but, but they can't remove it, right? Hopefully, we'll be able to further the conversation. But it, evangelism is not like it was even 10, 15, 20 years ago. But what we like to do is par back up and dump the entire truck of spiritual molts on them and offend them, and they never come back. Right? That's the way I was trained. You know, I can teach you two ways to live, you know, right? We, I did teach you two ways to live, you know, an evangelism outline. Great way. It works. doesn't work. I've tried it. It's about relationship, building relationships with these people, loving them, being their friend. It takes a lot longer today, and that's okay because God is on his throne. So what we have heard and read this morning in closing we saw what God did to the apostles, what God, died, what God did in the apostles, and what God did through the apostles. And we have learned from their example to wait, to be filled with all of God, and to proclaim. What's some applications for us this morning? Well, number one, as a people, I am calling for the summer all cancellation of every single program we do. Don't come up and ask me for a picnic. Uh-uh. You know what we're going to do? We're going to pray together, and we're going to attend to the ministry of the Word together. 
How are we going to do that? Monday through Friday, we're going to have morning prayer, noonday prayer, evening prayer right here in this space. 7.30 a.m., noonday prayer, 5.30 p.m., evening prayer. Choose one. If you want to come to all of them, that's fine, but I think you need to get a life, you know. Um, you know, I'm not going to be at every one, but the leadership is going to be there. We're going to take turns on Bestry and some of our equipping ministry leaders just to take some time to reprioritize, hear the word, and to pray. If you can't be there, just pray. <laughs> just pray. I encourage you, the summer reading recommendation book is the book called Praying by Dr. J.I. Packer, entitled Finding Our Way Through Duty to Delight. Great little read. Actually, it's not that little, all right? All right? It's a great book. I encourage you to, to walk through that with us. My journey group, I'm asking us to read that this week, this summer, rather. So that's the first thing. We're going to wait on the Lord and Follow him and follow his step, not ours. Secondly, receive all of God. Is there one part of your life you've been holding back and you know it? Well, that's good because the Holy Spirit's revealing that to you. My friends, let us really give it all over to him once and for all. And finally, let us go forth and proclaim. As we're waiting, make friends with people. How about being hospitable this summer? How about inviting someone in your neighborhood over to your house you've never invited over for dinner to a summer cookout? Someone. There's someone in your sphere of influence you can be a blessing to. And just make a friend. See what the Lord does. And as you have an opportunity, proclaim what you have the abundant life in Jesus Christ, as you are filled with the Holy Spirit. It just kind of spills over. Can't help it. Doesn't that change your life? In closing, uh, you remember that tongue twister, how much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? Remember that? Doesn't that change your life? Not really. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4 will change our lives. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort by which we ourselves are comforted by God. That's a biblical tongue twister. That'll change your life. You want to know why? Because what's he talking about? The Holy Spirit. It's the same thought over and over and over. Comfort, comfort, comfort is to bring someone alongside of us. Now you can turn to the back of the bulletin. John 14, verse 16 and 17. Jesus says to Philip, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, who the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. That word, helper, is the Greek word parakletos. Para, alongside. Kleo, to call out. To call. It describes the idea of the Holy Spirit and has the mind, the idea of helping us. 
you know, well, my car can't run any longer. I call this guy and he brings a really big truck to tow it. Because if I try to fix it, all I can do is open up the hood and pray. <laughs> you used to be able to work on cars. You can't do that anymore. You know, I can't. I don't know about you guys. I call someone alongside me to help. And that's the word used here. The helper. When we receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, we have help. The Holy Spirit is a paraclete for Christians. And so, because of what He's been done in us, to us, oh, He will do much through us. We'll let Him take care of the results. And we have all the help we need. So therefore, wait. Let's pray and get in the ministry of the Word together. Let us make sure that we receive all of God. Hold nothing back. And let's proclaim with word and deed this good news. We have all the help we need. Are you, are you still sitting looking up in the sky? That's like me going to batting practice and then going home. I would have missed the whole game. Oh, friends, don't miss this game. Because the Lord wants to use us right here today. Let's pray. Lord, here we are today again. Empty vessels. And we ask that you would fill us. May all you intend to happen in our lives come to pass through the power and presence of your Holy Spirit in each and every one of our lives. Please continue to work in us and through us producing that supernatural joy and praise in our hearts. May your fullness in us bring salvation to many through us this summer and upcoming fall. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for that work in our lives, for you continue to call us back to yourself, to convict us, and to guide us. And you give us what we need to carry out the mission that you have called us to. You give us the desire to obey you and to walk in you and prompt us to pray and to understand your word. Lord, we ask that you would give us that in greater measure. And Lord, we pray for those who may have it all together on the outside and yet don't know you, that you would bring them to the place of the 3,000, those who had ears to hear. For your honor and glory, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.